This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Yeah, it's true. COVID cases are up in our region. So much so that more and more people are donning masks again, trying to protect themselves from that notorious virus that brought our world to a standstill a few years ago. And we're seeing this rise in COVID cases through wastewater surveillance. It paints a pretty clear picture. The amount of COVID running through DC pipes is up 30% between June and July. In Maryland, it's even worse. They're seeing a 40% jump in the old line state. And in Virginia, there's a 15% increase in the amount of COVID running through the sewage system there. So what does this rise in COVID-19 mean? Is it being caused by new variants? And ultimately, should we care? For answers, we turn to Andy Pekosh, a virologist at Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. Andy Pekosh, welcome to the DMV Download Podcast. Thanks very much for having me. So as time has gone on and since we distanced ourselves from the depths of the COVID-19 pandemic, many of us have not paid attention to you know COVID in general, which I guess is a good thing probably for many of us. But we're edging closer and closer to fall, back to school. And, you know, COVID-19 is kind of popping up in the headlines more and more again. You know, you've been keeping an eye on it. So just to start, can you kind of give us a status update? Where are we with COVID-19 and why is it getting some more attention these days? Yeah, you know, we're coming off a summer where we've been very fortunate to have low case numbers, low hospitalizations, low deaths. It's been several months now since we've really talked a lot about any kind of surges in cases or anything like that. So we've been very fortunate. Now, the virus hasn't gone away, though, and so there have been cases um, all around the world pretty consistently, and I guess, importantly, the virus has also been changing and mutating and evolving to try to continue to circulate in the human population. So we've continued to see variants emerge, but up until recently, nothing has really sort of caused a large increase in cases. So as scientists, we've kept an eye on these things there really hasn't been a need to reach out to the general public or to talk about any kind of public health um, issues because the case numbers are so low. Right. And so now enter EG5, or I'm seeing some people calling it like Iris, Iris. You know, what is this new variant and why is it kind of causing concern and why are people making note of it? EG5 is actually very closely related to the XBB variants that we've been hearing about all summer. I know it's a completely different lettering system here. There's really only one or two changes from EG.5 versus some of the XBB viruses that were circulating. Now, we're hearing more about it because it's been increasing at a relatively fast rate. And that corresponds to an uptick in cases that we've been seeing roughly in the month of August. So we're trying to figure out is it EG5 that might be driving this increase in cases? Or are we seeing just a steady increase in cases? And EG5 is one of the variants that's around that's helping to drive this increase. Mm. And so now, you know, at this point of the pandemic, you know, we've got some solid tools. 
obviously, you know, masks are still a thing. Vaccines are here. Boosters are here. We've got some pharmaceutical, you know, solutions to help if, you know, someone comes down with COVID-19. Can we kind of take a, a toolbox assessment? You know, what tools should we be refreshing ourselves with? How should we use them as we enter into this fall for, you know, ourselves and our families? So first and foremost, the at-home tests are still available. You know, they're no longer being given out by the government or free, but they are available in virtually every pharmacy. And it's a really good tool to have around at the house so you can get a quick answer about whether you're COVID positive or not. We have antivirals that work really well in terms of preventing severe disease. And the hospital tests uh, are still recognizing the EG5 variant. So all those tools are still in place. Uh, I guess it's important to note that you know the severe cases of COVID-19 are really happening in small sections of the population. So you know individuals over the age of 60, individuals with secondary medical conditions that make that predispose them to severe COVID. So I think those are the groups that it's really important to remind them that there are tools that are available. Uh, you have to be aware, you have to use those tools because if we don't use those tools, they're not going to help us keeping down severe case numbers. Mm. But have a home test in place, know where your pharmacy that has antivirals is, and you know think about how you would go ahead and get yourself tested if you did have a home test that came up COVID positive so you can get yourself on those antivirals as soon as possible. Mm. And in the realm of immunity, whether, you know, through vaccines or through, you know, getting uh, COVID before, does this new variant kind of evade those? And if it does, uh, is there going to be a new vaccine to battle this new variant? Uh, where are we there? Yeah, the EG5 variant, and in fact, all of the XBB variant family are relatively different from the COVID booster vaccine that we got six months or a year ago now. So they are good at evading the immunity induced by vaccination or prior infection if you were infected, let's say, six months ago or longer. The good news on this, though, is that the fall COVID vaccine is based on an XBB family member, and it should uh, generate immunity that's going to recognize EG5 and the other XBB variants quite well. Mm. Just uh, this morning, actually, by happenstance, you know, I got an email from CVS saying, hey, you know, your flu vaccine, it's kind of time to get your flu vaccine. Should we be treating from here on out COVID very similarly to how we treat and have treated flu vaccines? Like, should we just get it kind of every fall, uh, late summer? Yeah, you know, the, the scientific community is still trying to figure this out in terms of what's the best strategy to go forward in terms of our COVID-19 vaccination program. I think that the virus is going to continue to circulate and change. So we will be seeing at least annual updates in the COVID vaccine to make sure that the vaccine is matching what's circulating. We're still waiting for, for firm guidance from the CDC and the FDA about who should be getting these vaccines and, and on what time frame they should be getting them. But it's very safe to say that, again, for individuals over the age of 60, let's say, flu vaccines, COVID vaccines, and there's a new vaccine against the virus called RSV that are all going to be available this fall. And those are all great vaccines for that part of the population uh, to take. 
Mm. So I'm trying to assess kind of takeaways from this conversation. If you're in at-risk kind of category health-wise, you probably should be, you know, thinking about getting a vaccine. But if you're not in that at-risk group, you know, it's kind of player's choice or should you hold off? I would hold off a little bit. Um, The clear benefit of vaccination against COVID-19, for instance, in healthy young individuals is still not exactly clear. Um, You know, we've had a lot of infections in the population. There's a lot of pre-existing immunity. So for most healthy individuals, we're going to wait and see what the CDC guidance is going to be about that. But again, in those at-risk groups, I think it's very clear from the preliminary data that we're seeing with the new COVID vaccines that they'll boost immunity and they'll boost immunity that's specific to the variants that are currently circulating. And that's what we want in those populations in particular. Hmm. Many kids are going back to school. Are there any suggestions you have for parents out there, you know, just kind of general principles that they can, you know, live by as, uh, you know, kids go back into the Petri dish of elementary schools? Well, I don't have to tell any parent that uh, their kids are oftentimes a source of a lot of infections that spread through the household. And, you know, that's true with the flu. It's also been shown to be true with COVID. So, you know, the American Pediatric Association does recommend COVID vaccines for all school-aged children. And it's a safe vaccine. And I think it's something that all parents should really consider because, again, children are known to spread these diseases. Anything we can do to to stop the transmission chains will, again, protect those more vulnerable portions of the population. Hmm. So COVID vaccine is safe and effective. And again, parents should be thinking about getting their kids vaccinated this fall, along with their flu vaccines. We've been hearing from Andy Pekosh, virologist at Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. Coming up, Pekosh tells us about an even more concerning COVID variant that goes by the name of BA268. And we also talk about why malaria is showing up in Maryland for the first time in decades. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And we're back. So, Andy, there's this second COVID-19 variant, and it's potentially more concerning. It's called BA261. Currently, there are only a handful of cases being reported worldwide, but it's making doctors concerned. Why? This one just came on our radar screen a couple of days ago. We currently have sequences of this variant from Denmark and from Israel and potentially two sequences here in the U.S. So very few cases, which is the first caveat here. But when we look at the sequence of this virus, it is highly mutated in a lot of the areas that vaccines or previous infections would generate antibodies to to recognize this. As an analogy, when Omicron emerged, it had 30 mutations compared to the original SARS-CoV-2 in the spike protein, the vaccine target. This 2.86 variant has 30 mutations 
compared to the XBB viruses that are currently circulating. Mm. So so it represents something that's very, very different from, from what's circulating currently and therefore is a high potential to escape from all of this immunity we've generated in the population over the past couple of years. Whoa. Whoa. So there's some uh, alarm bells kind of ringing in my head, you know, because I'm, I'm having flashbacks to the Delta variant, the Omicron variant. You know, so basically these mutations make it harder for our bodies to fight it if we come into contact with it. As we shift into this risk assessment perspective, how should the general public be thinking about this new variant with all these mutations? We shouldn't overreact at this point in time because all we have so far is information about the sequence of the variant. What the sequence can't tell us is, is it spreading fast? Is it causing more disease? Is it causing more reinfection? Uh, For that, we need all of the clinical and demographic data that comes with these cases. And with six cases, there's really no way for us to make any firm conclusions about how dangerous this variant is to the general public at this point in time. Now, that'll probably change over the next two to three weeks. Over the next two to three weeks, as people really start looking for this variant in their SARS-CoV-2 positive samples, we'll then start to get a picture of how widely this virus really is uh, spreading and what the symptoms look like and 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 who the target populations are. Mm. Do we know if the vaccines are good against it, uh, tests, or are those still kind of things we don't know yet? From the sequence, we can tell that most of the tests should still recognize it. There are a few tests, some of the sequencing that gets done that this variant may not be able to be picked up by carefully. We're still, it doesn't have any of the critical mutations that would evade antiviral immunity. So it does look like we should be able to pick up infections when they're happening. It's just that we don't know really how widespread this virus is and how quickly it is spreading based on the few cases that we have today. And whether, you know, vaccines would really protect against them as they are protecting against XBB right now. Yeah. And, you know, we know from the sequence that this will escape a lot of the antibodies that the XBB based vaccine in the fall will have. Mm. But what we also have now that's different from even two years ago is we also have had a lot of natural infections that boost other parts of your immune system, what we call T cells or cell responses. So while this variant can evade the antibody responses, it's probably still going to be recognized by those T cell responses that are induced by infection primarily. And so the estimate right now is that there will probably be more cases, but hopefully not a large increase in hospitalizations or severe cases. Mm. But that's something that we're going to have to wait a few more weeks to see how the data really starts to come out. Got it. So definitely should be something on our radar. Yes. And in essence, this really doesn't change anything that we've talked about in terms of the fall vaccine campaign, because the fall vaccine is still well matched to the variants that are circulating here in the U.S. right now, to the variants that are increasing here in the U.S. So for the short term, all the recommendations that we've been talking about are still in place. This is more of a maybe two months down the line, something that we as a public health response agencies have to start thinking about how we would deal with this if it does, in fact, become a more widely spread variant. Mm. And something else that, you know, we might want to put on that health radar this fall 
is, you know, malaria. In Maryland, we've seen a first case of locally transmitted malaria in decades. Can you explain first the disease and, you know, how we should be thinking about malaria in the U.S. and locally? Yeah, well, you know, malaria is a disease caused by a parasite called falciparum, and there are a couple different kinds of parasites that can cause that. Um, But it's basically a parasite that infects your liver cells, it infects your blood cells, and it's spread by certain types of mosquitoes that are most often present in more tropical climates. The U.S. did have malaria. It had an awful lot of mosquito-transmitted tropical uh, diseases 200 years ago or even 100 years ago. But most of those diseases have been eradicated by taking care of the mosquitoes primarily. So this case that's been detected here in Maryland is in someone who hasn't had a travel history and so presumably was bitten by a mosquito someplace here in Maryland and acquired malaria. Problem with malaria is that, again, most of its symptoms are very nondescript. So you'll get a fever, chills, sweats, and those types of things. And a doctor would not think of diagnosing you with malaria if you haven't traveled to an area where malaria is common. Hmm. So this is only one case. And, you know, it certainly isn't expected that we're going to find a large number of mosquitoes anywhere. The good news is it's August, so we're getting into the tail end of mosquito season. Although, again, global warming sometimes moves those markers around a little bit. Right. But but it really is a wake-up call that says that, you know, our environments are changing and habitats for mosquitoes that used to not be good ones are becoming ones that they can survive in. And that is going to make us sort of lift our guard for a lot of these more exotic diseases that we haven't seen here in the U.S. in a long time. And we need to start paying more attention to them. And just, again, a cursory review over Malaria 101. You know, are are there vaccines for malaria? Is it treatable? You know, I don't want to scare anyone, but just kind of the basics of malaria. There are no really good vaccines against malaria that are available here in the U.S., but there are a number of drugs uh, that can work to uh, eliminate the infection. There is some concern about malaria parasites in Africa and, and in Southeast Asia developing some immunity to these drugs. But for the most part, there are a good number of treatments around and um, an infected person can has a very high probability of clearing the disease before it causes severe illness, mm. as long as it's diagnosed early enough. Hmm. Interesting. So the diagnosable time period is kind of important there. Yeah. And again, your average doctor here in Maryland would not think to diagnose a malaria case. And so they'll probably go through the five or six other diseases that are much more likely to have this nondescript set of symptoms Hmm. rather than pinpoint on malaria. And again, that's probably a good thing because there probably aren't a lot of malaria cases here. But again, it represents that potential problem that doctors aren't thinking about malaria in cases in Maryland. And so if there was an outbreak, you know, you could have a couple of people get really infected and not be treated simply because it it wouldn't seem obvious to the doctors to make that diagnosis. Are you worried that there's like reactionary kickback stigma against bringing attention to this stuff and, you know, backing it financially after COVID with everyone just being so tired of it? Um, Yeah, I do worry about that because, you know, if someone looks at some of the malaria numbers, um, you know, in certain parts of Africa, malaria mostly targets children, not that much severe disease in adults. And we've heard those arguments with COVID, right? Oh, I know it kills some people, but 
to be blunt, right? Does it kill enough? Does it kill yeah. enough certain populations? Does it is the disease severe enough for us to warrant some of these interventions? And you know, we're going to hear a lot more about that as things pop up. You know, West Nile virus is back again this year. Mm. Um, there are a lot of other. If malaria can be transmitted here, there are a lot of other tropical diseases that could potentially be transmitted by the same vectors. So, you know, where's the risk assessment? Right now, it's really sitting in the public health officials' offices, and they're trying to use their current resources to deal with it. But any kind of expansion of that runs with it, the risk of, you know, people saying, do we really need to spend all that money on this? Mm. Um, How big of a threat really it is to us? And um, I think the bar for how serious a threat something has to be to the population for us to act has been raised by a lot of people who aren't really happy with the COVID-19 response. Although again, I would argue that we did everything appropriate and saved millions of lives with our COVID-19 response, but others would say our response wasn't, was too much given the threat that this virus concerned. And I think that's going to come up faster and faster as these virus, as these new emerging infections come through. Mm. Well, Andy, as always, thank you so much for your you know, perspective here and keeping us kind of abreast of all the changes in this medical reality that we're living in. And so that we can you know, look out for these, you know, maybe possible malaria symptoms if they do pop up. Thanks again for your time. And um, yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. And that'll do it for us today here on the DMV Download Podcast. Thanks so much for listening and let us know how we're doing on the show. We love feedback. You can let us know through reviews on your favorite podcast platform or just give us some stars. This show is brought to you by WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, and 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland. You can also listen to WTOP on our website at WTOP.com and on our app. Have a great week. Stay safe. We'll talk Wednesday. Wednesday.